emotional and fiduciary responsibility. Understanding differentiation, I think, is probably one of the biggest challenges for small businesses. Bartenders play such a huge role in the purchase decision as it relates to cannabis. Really talking to your potential target audience at that degree of due diligence. To another amazing episode of Weed Buds Radio, I am in our virtual studio today with my great friend, Laura. We are going to talk about how businesses can continue to do some market research and learn more about their customers, even during a pandemic when it's been so hard to conduct business as usual. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to see you, Rye. It is so great to see you. How have you been holding up uh, the last few months? Uh, I've been doing um, surprisingly well. I mean, I'm, you know, I thank God for cannabis <laughs> because I've been super busy with uh, consumer interviews and bud tender inter- interviews and focus groups. And it's been, um, it hasn't stopped. So thank God. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> One of our our producers here in the studio, we were when the pandemic first hit, we made a very deliberate effort to not call attention to it, to not make it a part of the broadcast because there was such a lack of real information about it. And you know, who really knew what was going on. But now here we are in October going into Q4 of 2020. It's here. And so we feel like we need to talk about business tools and resources that can help us continue to move our businesses forward during this time. And that's why I needed to have you on because how do we talk to our potential prospects when it's so hard to communicate now more than ever uh well you know luckily people even you know people in their 80s are adept at zoom (laughs) at this point and i'm very fortunate in that a lot of my work has been national so i've been a zoom user for a long time and what i've done is instead of doing in-person focus groups we've been able to shift to virtual focus groups now there are some nuances obviously you can't um touch and feel the product or so i thought but i've discovered some great workarounds and so i've been able to work out through dispensaries how to distribute product for taste tests and um uh, you know and sampling so Um, I've been able to do product taste tests even in this time. It's just required a little bit more logistical uh, challenge. And um, and virtually people, you know, usually for the first couple moments of a focus group, there might be a couple people talking over one another as you would in any Zoom conference call, but that soon diminishes once once you get into the rhythm. So uh, you can talk to your customers still via online surveys or Um, But even focus groups and interviews, it's kind of business as usual in terms of that transition. And it's actually lowered the price because people don't have to go into an in-person focus facility. And from a B2B perspective, people are much more accessible. So um, actually, their market research pricing to clients has gone down during COVID, which has been a win-win for my business. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. But if I'm an entrepreneur 
and I I have all of the answers. I've created a business. I know my product. I know where I want to place my product. Why is it so important to reach out to you, Lara, and really feel like I need to understand more? Well, a lot of times entrepreneurs think they know their target audience because the impetus for the product itself has been with something specific in mind. But what I've discovered um, through projects in the past six months, and not to mention the past 23 years, is that oftentimes with startups in particular, that who their target audience is, is um, in their minds, is not necessarily their optimal target audience. Sometimes it's smaller, sometimes it's bigger, sometimes it's different. Um, you know, for instance, I've done projects uh, in the cannabis space uh, for a product that was supposed to help or is intended to help people who don't know how to roll their own joints. So there was a supposition that it would be for maybe older people, people with dexterity issues. When we tested it out, it's actually their, their most robust, profitable target audience would be people who don't um, you know, who don't have a problem rolling their own joints. They just use so many that they'd like a, a more expeditious way to do so. So had they gone into their marketing and their branding or even their logo design on the supposition that it was going to be a, you know, an older skewing audience, maybe more medically needed, um, they would have been really off base because they have much more opportunity positioning it to high joint you know, self-rolling joint users who just want a more efficient way to do it. That's incredible. And it makes perfect sense because when we are in the business, we are often in our own offices and in our own heads. And so everything seems so rational to an entrepreneur when mm -hmm. there's really nothing rational about your customer and about how you engage that customer. What are some unique surprises that may have differed from a hypothesis when you started a project? Well, I did a project for an entrepreneur um, who um, has a glass vacuum sealed tube that it, uh, enables you to keep your joints fresh, your weed fresh. So the supposition on that one, or the hypothesis, was that it was going to be for canisores, people who really cared about the dampness of their weed and preserving it in a certain way. But when we tested it out, it was actually parents who don't want their kids to smell that there's weed in the house that provides a much bigger opportunity than for a can of sores. So again, from a from a marketing perspective, those are both cases where um, the the target audience that the entrepreneur assumed and what the possibilities were differed radically in their favor. Now, that's not to say that that always happens, especially with uh, new entrepreneurs. They're like, my product's the best. Well, you, best is not going to win any, you know, even lowest price isn't always going to win. There has to be some intersection of connection with people, value, and differentiation, and you can't be all things to all people. So entrepreneurs who go in saying, you know, this is going to be a game changer that everybody's going to want are usually a bit too idealistic. And I'm, you know, I'm an idealist. I'm, I'm a passionate entrepreneur. I go with my gut sometimes, but when there's big money on the line, I strongly <laughs> urge people to 
you know, take a pause and do their due diligence on the market research so they can make database decisions and not second guess themselves because the logo they chose was based on what their wife thought was great or the, you know, they uh, went in a certain marketing direction because the partner thought that that seemed like a good move. And so besides the consumer insights that drive product refinement, concept refinement, branding, messaging, I've also found that market research for startups and small businesses can mitigate a lot of finger pointing about what the right decision to make is. And especially for small businesses where oftentimes there's a family unit or a close partnership or friendship involved. Being able to blame me <laughs> and the data collection as opposed to finger pointing about what direction they should be going based on some hunches or anecdotal evidence or God forbid a survey monkey survey that they posted to their Facebook page. You know, it's you just want to make an educated decision when big money's on the line and big and money can mean two thousand solutions aren't they yeah. <laughs> yep <laughs> so how many no times one... have you had to play that referee between two entrepreneurial business partners i haven't had to do it a ton of times what i what i've more encountered is spouses or life partners in addition to business partners having a difference of opinion and then that sense of resentment coming up when the uh, decision that was made doesn't play out. Now, it may be that no matter what the uh, choice, it may not have gone well anyways. I mean, you know, that's always a possibility, but being able to have the consciousness that you have data, whether it be surveys or focus groups or a combination or even secondary competitive research really um, minimizes a lot of that strife that can exacerbate a relationship ongoingly when you have a small business partnership. That makes sense. If I'm looking at my business objectively and I know that I need a partner like you to really help us refine our messaging, identify our target market, and then how are we going to execute a strategy to acquire those targets? Are there things that I should be doing to prepare myself for a discovery conversation with you? Is there any data that I should be collecting or what would make it so I am an ideal customer for you, Laura? Well, I would never the the kind of customers that I deal with. I would never expect to do that that degree of due diligence. I mean, part of why I got out of Fortune 500 corporate market research and into um, my, starting my own company seven years ago is that I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs. Now, this is unfortunate for from my CPA's point of view because they inevitably have much less money and require much more time. But that's where my passion is, is about helping um, go through that discovery process with an entrepreneur or a small business and helping them understand so they have sort of a de facto offsite market research person that they can turn to and that asks them the questions and ask them also questions about things that they may not have known that they don't know. For instance, they may think they know their target audience, but they don't know that they may not be on target with that target audience. 
Absolutely. And that's a great point because just because you've narrowed down your niche does not mean that you've narrowed down how to communicate to that niche. Yeah, absolutely. And understanding differentiation, I think, is probably um, one of the biggest challenges for small businesses. And secondarily, understanding that just because there's an unmet need doesn't mean people are going to want to fill it, let alone pay for it. So there's sort of, you know, old school thought, you know, supply and demand, fill an unmet need. Well, you know, I don't see a lot of um, Scottish sit-down restaurants other than McDonald's, and that's probably for a reason, because Scottish food kind of sucks. And <laughs> so, you know, if someone tells me that they're going to want to order, you know, open up a Scottish restaurant, I'm going to encourage them to do some very targeted zip code driven surveys around their proposed location and find out if people are willing to pay for that. Is that why as I travel the country, I so rarely see a Scottish restaurant, but if I do, it's in the middle of nowhere and absolutely <laughs> delicious because like they just, it's hard to come by. Well, I just, you know, I mean, I was, I was just kind of coming up with them as a random example. And actually, I'm, uh, you know, I'm partially British and our food kind of sucks, too. Um, but just, you know, there's certain um, things that appeal to people and certain things don't. So you can have what you think is the most cool and innovative things. And if you go to Kickstarter or, um, what, you know, one of those campaigns, you can see some crazy obscure stuff that may seem like a good idea, but if people aren't willing to pay for it, it, you know, don't, don't quit your job and spend your life savings, you know, and, and that is a challenge during COVID is that everyone has sort of reevaluated the importance of life and pursuing your passion. So you have more people who have been laid off and feel like this is an opportune time to pursue their passion, of which I am 100% behind. I just want to make sure that when you pursue that, because, um, you know, Aunt Karen's carrot cake has been so awesome and, you know, for generations, that doesn't mean you go and open up a bakery. Um, you know, sometimes people make leaps from, uh, tastiness and fondness to a business and it's just not viable, especially as a small business, because you don't have the scalability, usually can't compete on price. So you have to compete on other differentiating attributes and get a whole lot of marketing out about them in order to set yourself up for success. And even successful businesses don't often make a profit for three years. And so being able to uh, make sure that you have an idea that's either going to counter that profitability, you know, trajectory, or um, you know, plan for that is a is a common challenge with startups. They're not they're not sufficiently funded. And funding is is difficult to come by now, just like it was before. But now, sometimes I feel like it's even more of a challenge because before you could leverage some of those facial cues and build the relationship with the group in front of you. And I think that it's it's much harder to communicate passion and authenticity through a virtual medium. Not that it's impossible, it's just hard. You and I both work with a number of entrepreneurs and startups, and you 
mention the example of the carrot cake. Just because you have the best carrot cake doesn't mean that you need to start a bakery. And entrepreneurs, when they reach out to me, I so often they have this plan for this large scale business, this grand vision. And I love that and never want to deter that vision. But sometimes I feel like entrepreneurs underestimate the power and value of a specific product and a specific innovation where maybe it is the best carrot cake. So do you need to open a bakery or can you wholesale or license your recipe to your neighborhood bakery? Can you build a brand that someone else can sell and help you scale and then you scale into your business? And so I feel like it's often challenging to showcase because there really is. I tell everybody there's a million ways to make a million dollars. It's they're all hard. But there's a million ways to do it. And sometimes getting there requires a very different path than, than you started. So when entrepreneurs come to you, Laura, do you often see that? And how do you kind of help manage the entrepreneur? Uh, I, I see the same thing that, you know, there, there tends to be a very um, grandiose plan often that's predicated upon everything going smoothly, which it never does, um, and uh, and I too am. You know, I'm, I love entrepreneurs, and I love that passion, and I love that energy. But from a um, emotional and fiduciary responsibility as a market researcher, I have to manage expectations. And um, usually, the people that are referred to me more tip- most typically, it's. Go to Laura Fortas, she'll talk to you. If she can't help you, she'll know who can help you. And she'll evaluate what it is that you need and either make it happen or point you in the right direction to get it done. And um, often, you know, market research is not something that people budget in as part of a business plan. Like that's, um, you know, they assume like, oh, well, you know, I'll get the free survey monkey software and post it on my social media. And bad market research is worse than no market research because they tend to, you know, I hate to be blunt, but the people within your orbit tend to blow smoke up your ass and unintentionally because they want to support and fuel that drive. And, And that's natural and you can get caught up in the excitement of that. But if you don't have what's called a representative sample, so, a, you know, a sort of census driven outside of your orbit sampling from, um, you know, a, a professionally vetted service to ensure that you're really talking to your potential target audience and not this self-selected immediate um, social media friends, friends of friends, friends of your, you know, second. I wish my cousin. network was that supportive. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes, uh, and I have this challenge right now with someone that I came in late helping with a Kickstarter campaign. He had um, he had done a Survey Monkey survey on Facebook and built a, a pr- his pricing and his business around that. And he went to raise over a hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter, and thirty days in, he's at one thousand five hundred and forty-eight dollars. You know very substantial gap between what he expected and what's 
transpiring. And um, so I'd always rather people take a little bit more time to do their due diligence before they jump into something. And you have to have a thicker skin to be an entrepreneur and you have to be willing to look at the good, the bad and ugly associated with your business. And usually that means bringing in people outside of your six degrees of separation, so to speak. I think that's a great tip for entrepreneurs because that's something that I learned very early was exactly that, is that your inner circle is, if they love you, they're going to support you and encourage you. And I think that it's important that entrepreneurs have two inner circles, their friends and family, the the people that give them personal joy, but your professional inner circle, I've always really strive to make that one hypercritical with with different knowledge sets where my friend CJ can, nah, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? Don't go down that path. And we'll have a discourse. We'll have a conversation about it where nobody in that group will ever default say that's a good idea. Nobody's going to discourage you and say it's a bad idea. But I think that that constant criticism, it's like, playing sports in school that that feedback makes you better and Mm -hmm. so opening yourself up to truly embrace feedback and welcome it i think ultimately makes our product and our businesses better and so i really appreciate you sharing your insights laura if i'm an entrepreneur and i know that i need this but i haven't built it into my budget what are some recommendations you have for me to be evaluating my business plan and how do i make this a part of a any startup sure and and i get that question a lot so i'm actually i'm redoing my website right now and i i'm going to try to have a resources page for people now obviously um I'm a resource. I'm happy to talk to anyone for free anytime, much to my husband's chagrin because I end up, you know, talking to mom and pop shops that I frequent and because I I care. And um, one thing that you can do is initially do what's called secondary research, you know, which is your online research and so forth to see your competitive landscape. Um, I'd recommend if you are going to do a survey that you at least talk to someone who can execute one based on a statistically significant and objective sample. And there are ways now to do things like focus groups. And if it's controversial or stigmatized, I I tend to do interviews to minimize that group bias or embarrassment. So um, for instance, um, sometimes with Canna Curious, Consumers, I'll talk to them more one-on-one because they're not necess- they're not in the category yet, and they may have you know they're more likely to talk to me as a middle-aged mom in the suburbs. You know, I'm pretty non-threatening <laughs> presence um, than they're than they are likely to come to a focus group or answer a survey. <laughs> Yeah, I'm lucky. I'm 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 pretty uh you know, I'm pretty much the kind of person everyone feels comfortable talking to and um you know, is can relate to and I've I've been very fortunate because even though I am not I I tend to have a good connection and with 20 somethings and people that look totally different from me and are 
you know, bud tenders. I do a lot of bud tender focus groups, bud tender interviews, and uh, it's been it's been really a blast and very insightful. And as you know, especially um, bud tenders play such a huge role in the purchase decision as it relates to cannabis. That understanding them and their opinions, as well as the end consumer opinions for a cannabis brand, is super important. Absolutely, the bud tenders are are your frontline sales reps. They they bridge the gap between the business and the customer. That makes perfect sense that they should have the knowledge and we should be listening to them for feedback so we can make the business more productive. That's amazing. Well, Laura, I am so grateful that you are able to join us here on the Weed Buds virtual studio. Now, for all of those listening at home, what is the best way to connect with you and reach out for some marketing research help? Well, I'm, I love connecting on LinkedIn. You can go to my name, Laura Fortis, L-A-R-A Fortis, um, and uh, connect with me there, find me there. You can go to FortisConsulting.com. So that website is, is currently being, being updated. So it's uh, it, finding my cannabis-related market research may be a little bit more challenging. And you can also email me at Laura Fortis at FortisConsulting.com or just go to I my Calendly link is at zoomgal.com. So if you just want to like really be spontaneous and say, hey, I want to talk to this suburban mom who specializes in startups and small business and cannabis research, just go to zoomgal.com and book a time to chat. That's amazing. And we will put that link in the show notes. So if you're listening and you need to reach out to Lara immediately, you will have direct access to do so. And of course, we are so grateful for all of you listening at home and joining us today and look forward to speaking to you again on another episode of Weed Buds Radio. Mm-hmm.